0: Uh, communion meditation. Okay. Opening scripture. It's kind of a lengthy one this time, so please bear with me. I'm going to read through an entire parable. And this is the uh, par- called the Parable of the Talents. Okay. And by the way, Jesus did the, uh, uh, gave this parable just before he was about to go to the cross. It was part of Holy Week. And he said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling in a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You were faithful... Over many things, enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I know that you are a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in, in the ground. Lord there you have what is yours but his lord answered and said to him you wicked and lazy servant you knew that i reap where i have not sown and gather where i have not scattered seed so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming i would have received back mine own interest my own with interest So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast that unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." Lord, I just pray for this message here. And Lord, it's a solemn message and something that we need to sit back and meditate upon, Lord. And help us to realize, Lord, that you are going to one day set us down and settle your account with us. So teach us, Lord God, to be those faithful and wise servants, Lord God, and be productive for your kingdom and not be as that unprofitable servant was who buried his money, the money, uh, Lord's money away, Lord. And thus, not only did not receive a reward, but he was cast away from your presence forever. And burn this message into our hearts, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to speak to you from the communion meditation this morning. How are you using your talent? And centered uh, about what's called the parable of the talents. Now the parable of the talents is one of the most important parables of Jesus. It reveals that we will all be called into account for the lives we have lived here on earth. And I've been kind of harping on that thing now for literally months. Everybody that is saved or unsaved is going to be judged by God. You cannot escape that. This parable once again reinforces that assessment. Remember, I've told you that there's two judgments spoken about in Scripture. There's the great white throne judgment... Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. And as I've said before, you want no part of the great white throne judgment. Because everybody there will be eternally lost. The second is the judgment seat of Christ. And this is for the saved. We will not be judged for our sin because Jesus Christ has been the perfect sacrificed for that he paid the penalty for us not only us but for the entire world but not everybody will embrace that fact and that's why they will have to take place at the great white throne judgment but the word says that even christians it says for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of christ Verse 12, this is uh, Romans chapter 14, verses uh, the second half of uh, uh, verse 10 and verse 12. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Now, a little groundwork on the parables. I say this because some of you are new Christians, we may not be that familiar with them. The parables are stories that are narrated to us in scripture that illustrate spiritual truth. Parables are found throughout the Bible. You'll find a whole lot of them in the uh, prophets too. Not just in uh, the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. Especially with the prophets. And uh, Jesus, however, was the absolute master at telling these stories parables. The number of Jesus parables uh, varies depending on who you ask. I was looking on the internet when I was writing this sermon and I saw anywhere from 30 to 50. Uh, one of the web pages that I uh, uh, visited uh, had listed 41 of them. Now some of them are quite short, you know, for example, you have the dragnet, which is only, I think, one verse, you know, that you know they dragged the net along the sea and uh, pulled up all kinds of fish, and then the people, uh, you know, the fishermen, took it to shore and sorted out the good and the bad. They threw the bad away, and they, of course... T- took the good and either used it for food themselves or sold it in the marketplace. You also have the parable of the treasure that was found in the field and uh, the uh, uh, man finds it and then he sold all that he had and bought the field so that he could have the treasure for himself. Now those parables are only about one or two uh, verses long. Others are much longer. The parable of the talents here in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through uh, 30 is one of the longer ones, a total of 17 verses. The parable of the talents is very similar to the parable of the pounds, which is found in Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. And both of these teach the accountability of each person before Almighty God. All of Jesus' parables speak of people and their interaction with either other people or with objects in their lives. So it remains for the listener or reader to determine the meaning behind these things and discern the spiritual meaning of the parable. Some of these parables are interpreted for us. You know, I spent quite a bit of time on the parable of a sower and Jesus told that to the masses and they had no idea what he was talking about. And then he said, I'm going to explain it to you, speaking to his disciples. I'm going to explain it to you, you know, so you'll know exactly what it means. And then the, the parable of the sower, you find that in uh, Matthew chapter 13 was interpreted for us. And you can also use that parable It's kind of a key uh, to interpreting other parables in there. Uh, many do not understand these parables but if you're a child of God, you should be able to understand them. And, you know, there's other books that you can consult, but you should be able to understand it yourself. Because you, what does the child of God have? The child of God has the Holy Spirit. Amen? And didn't Jesus promise that he would send the Holy Spirit? And the Holy Uh, Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth. Now this particular parable I have meditated on uh, more than perhaps any other uh, parables. You know, I've meditated on it many times over the years. And uh, it starts out here, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. First of all, Who's the man here? Who's the man? Well, the man represents the Lord Jesus Christ, who is not physically with us now, but he ascended up there into heaven, and he's told us to be productive for his kingdom while he is gone. Okay? But he will return one day, and call all of humanity into account. Later on in the parable, this man is called Lord, so uh, the same meaning as a nobleman, so we're going to be using that term for the man from now on. Now, the Lord's mandate to his servants, to these servants in the parable, not only this one, but also the one in Luke chapter 19, is this. Verse 13 of Luke chapter 19. And he called his ten servants and delivered to them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy until I come. Everybody say that. Occupy until I come. What does occupy mean? Well, it means continue to do business. By the way, that uh, phrase, occupy until I come... Is not related there in the parable we're looking at, uh, you know, Matthew chapter twenty-five. And again, that's very similar to the one in Luke chapter nineteen. But it's kind of understood there. In other words, do business with what I have entrusted you with. Okay, again, Luke chapter eleven verses. Uh, I mean, 19 verses 11 through 27 is a parallel parable to Matthew chapter 19. And the concept is uh, the same in both parables. We are to use what we are given to or entrusted with or stewards with. We've talked about stewards before. What is required of stewards? Stewards. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, Moreover, it is required of stewards that a man be found faithful. That's what God is looking for, is faithfulness from you in what He has entrusted you with, what you are a steward of. You know, uh, some Christians spend a lot of time, uh, for example, you know... uh, trying to figure out when the Lord's going to return. You know, they're really enamored with prophecy. And they spend a lot of time trying to figure out when that's going to be. And by the way, it's going to be soon, because we see the things that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 24. But you know what? Prophecy is one of what are called the first principles you know you read uh, the first principles of the faith and that's found in uh, Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 through 3 you have salvation you have prophecy and then you have the rituals those are elementary principles some people get so enamored with these that they miss the big picture You use the first principles as the foundation of your Christian faith, but you don't dwell on them. So many Christian groups spend so much time with these first principles. But then they don't do what God told them to do, which was to occupy, to do business. When I first got really serious with the Lord back in 1975, I was really enamored with prophecy. I bought these books on prophecy, trying to tell me what every horn in Daniel means, and what these beasts and stuff uh, mean. And you know what happened? After a period of time, I kind of lost interest in that prophecy, because I got more concerned about Doing ministry, ministering to other people. And God led me away to Bible college, I got involved in ministry to the cults, and then God later called me into, you know, the mission field. You know, I was taking what God had called me to do. He had a specific call on my life. And so it is with you too. God has a specific call on your life. And I tell you over and over again: If you don't know what that call is, you better, you know, check with the Lord and find out. Because how are you going to use that talent, that calling, to further His kingdom if you don't even know what it is? Okay, verse uh, the first, the second part of uh, Matthew 25, verse 14. It says that who that is the Lord in the parable called his own servants, and delivered his goods to them. His own servants. Who are his own servants? Who is Jesus talking about? Uh, Is he talking about us as Christians? That would seem to be the case, but not necessarily. It might also be those that call themselves Christians, but are not true Christians, in heart. It may also be Christians who started out like gangbusters and I shared with that that was uh, a uh, type of Christian with you when we were going through the parable of the sower. You came to the uh, seed that was sown on rocky ground and Jesus said that the, the seed that's sown on rocky ground the rocky ground represents those that hear the word and it springs up immediately, they have so much zeal and everything, but then through persecution and the worry, you know, the cares of this world and everything, uh, you know, maybe something happens to them and uh, that is represented by the sun which goes out and dries up the plants and those plants then dry up and die. So, It is possible for the the Christian to fall away. And I went through that kind of in detail when we were covering that part of the parable of the sower. Okay, it says that he delivered, the Lord delivered his goods to them, his own servants. And these goods are the talents that are seen in the next verse. Verse 15, And to to one he gave five talents, to another two, To another, one, to each according to his own ability. So although it says that they were given talents, each according to his own ability, the talents here do not represent abilities that we may have. For example, some people have a talent in the way of music. They have a lot of ability in the way of music. I don't happen to be one. That's not my particular gift or my ability. Instead, a talent, the talents that are being referred to, uh, refer to a monetary unit. Uh, The later versions of the New International Version, you know, I know because when I was uh, doing the research for this, I looked at the translation, the New International Version, and the, the at least the later versions of the New International Version say bags of money. Instead of saying talents, they said bags of money. And uh, exactly how much a talent was is uh, really open to question. Nobody really knows what it is. It could have been a very large sum of money, you know, on the order of maybe $10,000. Or, you know, one of the, the uh, interpretations I read said it was equal to 20 years wages. Wow. So, the one that got five talents got the equivalent of 100 years wages. You know, the, the den- denarii, the uh, daily wage back in those days. Okay. Continuing on with uh, verse 15 of Matthew uh, chapter 25 immediately he that is the lord in the parable went on a journey and this was of course equivalent to the lord leave, leaving us after he ascended up there into heaven verse 16 and verse 16 actually through verse 16 through 18 Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug into the ground and hid his master's money. That's true of some people. They take the one talent that God gives them and they bury it. They don't use it. And thus there is no return. So the first two doubled their Lord's money. The third hid it in the ground and did nothing with it. It says after verse 19 of Matthew 25, After a long time the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Everybody say that. Settled accounts with them. One day you're going to stand before Jesus Christ and he is going to settle his account with you. Remember, each shall give an account of himself to God. So again, it's proven in this, from this passage and many other passages that a day of reckoning is coming for us we will be judged on how faithful we have been in our service to Him. Continuing on here in verse 20 through 23. I won't take the time to read it, but although the first two servants had differing amounts on their Lord's money, one of them had five more, talents. The other had two more talents. They had both been equally faithful in what he entrusted them with. They had both doubled their master's money. So they both therefore received an equal reward for it. Jesus gave the same commendation for both of them. It's uh, it's virtually identical in verses 21 and 23. Jesus said to these servants, the one that each of them had doubled their master's uh, money, he said to them, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the, your Lord. And you know what? When we're doing what God wants us to be, we don't just enter the joy in the life to come. We enter into the joy now. Amen? Yes. That's one of the fruit of the, uh, manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You want joy in your life? Make sure that you're being Productive. And you'll have that inner peace within you too. Knowing that you are doing what you should be doing while you are in this body. Verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you. He says, I knew you. He didn't really know him. He had his own concept of who his Lord was. And it was the wrong concept. I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So what was he doing? You know what he's doing? He was accusing of his Lord. The utter gall. Here the Lord is his master, and he's accusing him. And not only accusing him for what he is, you know, you're a hard man, but also he's pushing the blame. Mm. I knew you were a hard man. You reap where you have not sown. You gather where you have not scattered seed. He's pushing the blame for his own wickedness and laziness on the master. And there's a lot of people that are like that, brothers and sisters. They never take personal responsibility. Everything is somebody else's fault. So, this third servant had some very serious problems. He described his Lord as a hard man. Now, if the Lord in the parable represents Jesus, does this describe Jesus? Is Jesus a hard man? That's why I say he didn't know his master, because Jesus is anything but a hard man. In reality, Jesus can never truly be described as a hard man. Instead, read his own description of himself in his universal call to all mankind. And this is found in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, that doesn't sound like a hard man to me. It sounds like a man that is concerned about the well-being of his servants. And you only have that rest, you only have that joy and that peace when you're going about your master's business. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. You're to learn from Jesus every day. Everybody said that. Learn of me. For I am gentle and lowly of heart. Nothing yes. about him being a hard man right there. Yes. Gentle and lowly in heart. That's just kind of the antithesis, I think, of a hard man. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden Amen. is light. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now I quoted this scripture for you a few weeks ago. In Hebrews chapter 3 verses 7 through the first part of 8 and also verse 10. The writer of Hebrews writes to the people there, the Hebrew Christians, who are in danger of lapsing away from the new covenant back into the old covenant. The old covenant was the hard man. Peter described it as a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear. And these people are trying to get back into that. Instead of having the gentle shepherd that beckons us to come to him. So, the book of Hebrews is a warning. Don't do it. Don't go back into the old covenant. You've got a better covenant founded on better promises. A better high priest. Better, better, better. And in the midst of that, in chapter 3, he says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. Therefore, I was angry with that generation, and said, They do always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. How do you know the, the ways of uh, the Lord learn from him. Amen? So the bottom line is it was not the Lord in the parable that was the hard man. it was the servant. right? Everybody see that? It was a servant because that servant hardened his heart. His servant, The servant's heart was hard. Now it's possible what Jesus meant earlier in the parable when he said that the Lord had distributed his goods to his servants, each according to his own ability. So the servant also accused his Lord not only of being a hard man, who is, I mentioned, that's who he was, but also his deeds. Reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So, in other words, what did he say? Lord, you're just out for yourself. Know what he was saying? Just out for yourself and what you could take, uh, uh, what you could uh, receive taking advantage of other people. This is the wrong concept of God. Amen? Because the servant was becoming like what he thought the Lord was. He was just out for himself. So many people are like that. And I've told you before, brothers and sisters, you better get the right concept of God in your mind. Because you become like the God that you serve. Mm. Amen? So if you think that God is just out for himself and taking advantage of other people, that's the way you become, right? You become cynical. Every man for himself. Now where did this servant get these ideas? Because it's plain he did not truly know the heart of his Lord. And one of the questions I was thinking about while I was preparing this is why didn't he rub shoulders with the productive servants and talk to them? Maybe he would have gotten a whole new perspective but apparently he didn't do that. Now there are a lot of folks too maybe they get saved and then they drift off they don't go to church they become cynical. They say all these churches are just out for themselves, you know. And, uh, you know, if you don't come to church, you don't rub shoulders with your fellow Christians. Mm. You know, it's so easy to drift off and get the wrong concepts of, of uh, you know, because those two faithful servants could have maybe sat down with him and got him, uh, set him straight. But there's his final problem here, in verse, in the verse there he said, "I was afraid," and that led. That was what led him to bury it. He was afraid. Maybe he's afraid of investing his master's money. So many people are like that. Well, I don't have any talents at all, you know. You do. Everybody here has a talent, an ability. And the idea that I'm trying to get across to you is don't bury it. Use it, and use it wisely. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to step out in faith. The main thing is to be, be faithful and and by your faithfulness become productive. Now this is an interesting thing, though. I was afraid. I'm afraid of you, Lord. Does God want us to be afraid of him? No. Certainly he wants us to fear him, but fear there, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom, the fear there does not mean afraid, deathly afraid of him. The deathly afraidness of God is the beginning. No, it's not. Fear there means to honor. It means to reverence. It means to respect Him. Respect Him because He is God. And you are the servant. Does not mean that He wants us to be afraid of Him. Consider that over and over again, you know, I didn't check the number of times, but I've heard that the the phrase fear not literally appears hundreds of times in Scripture. Fear not. Fear me, reverence me, honor me, respect me, but don't be afraid of what the world has out there for you. Don't be afraid of the devil. I'm not afraid of the devil. Also, John says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Perfect. What does perfect mean? What have I told you before? Perfect means mature. Mature love. The end result complete if your love is completed your love for the god is completed you will not be afraid of him because fear involves torment he who fears has not been made perfect complete in love <laughs> so that's the whole thing is if you're death re- afraid of god How can you love Him? You're tormented by that. By being deathly afraid of Him. That's going to hinder your love for Him. So you need to lose that deathly afraidness of God. Instead, learn to love Him. Because if you love Him then you won't be deathly afraid of Him. If you love Him, He loves you first. And if you receive that love, then you will have that perfect love, that complete love. And you won't have that deathly afraidness of Him. Now, as Lord's assessment of the servant, He says, You wicked and lazy servant. Now, wicked is easily explained by the fact that his heart was obviously hard and not right with his Lord. Okay, we're wrapping up now. In this parable of the talents, what does the one talent represent? What was that one talent that the servant got from his master? You know, as I have meditated on this parable over the years, I've kind of changed my perspective on it a few times. I remember sharing once uh, during my first extended missionary trip to Thailand, uh, I was sharing with a group, and I said that the one talent that this man had the servant had was prayer, and I said, Well, if you're faithful in your prayer time, then God will multiply that talent. And I cited the case of uh, Joy Dawson, you know, I've, I've shared with you about her before. She was a New Zealand housewife, she found herself with, uh, after she was finished with her household chores, she had time on her hands. Instead of tuning into the soap operas, she went into her prayer closet and began to pray and intercede. And because she was faithful in that one talent that she had, God raised her up into a ministry of teaching intercession for others. And she literally crisscrossed the world with youth, this missions organization called Youth with a Mission. Teaching those short-term missionaries, maybe long-term missionaries, the ministry of intercession. God took her talent and multiplied to it. So I said, that, that one talent that everybody has is the ministry of prayer. Then I kind of broadened that. And I said, in fact, it, uh, it, I was, this is what I was telling Lane the, the other uh, just yesterday when he came over. Uh, Was it yesterday? or No, it was Friday. Anyway, I was saying, uh, to me, maybe it's your whole relationship with God. And as I was preparing this message, you know what? I changed my mind again. Okay. What is one thing that everybody has? Life. You have life, right. But what, what do you do... When you go through life. You spend time. Everybody has time in this congregation. Amen. Yeah. You've got 24-7, 365 days a year. Amen? Amen? Everybody has that time. And the key is not whether you have the time or not. Or not but the key is what you do with it how you choose to spend it the servant, the wicked servant in this parable did not spend time with his lord because he didn't know him you know and maybe that that's what it meant you know when each according to his own ability you know his heart was hard because he did not spend time with the lord so how do you spend your time brothers and sisters do you spend it on frivolous pursuits to please yourself or do you spend it in his presence getting to know him do you spend it on developing your abilities to further his kingdom? Do you spend it in his word and letting him speak to you through his word? Do you spend it in intercession for a lost and dying world? Use your time wisely. Now remember, the Lord also not only described him as wicked, but also lazy. The simple fact is we can be so diligent in working in worldly pursuits and we can be so lazy in the things of God. You could be the best worker on your job. You know, I've known uh, people that spent 90 hours a week on their job. Over half their life is spent in the workplace. Maybe you know some people like that too. Or you could spend a lot of time with the upkeep around your house. But do you have time for the Lord? That's the big question. You know what Hebrews chapter 6 verses 12, 11 and 12 says, it says the writer writes to the hebrew christians and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence diligent person is the opposite of a lazy person show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope to the end that you be not slothful king james version says you wicked and slothful servant but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise you know he's been talking about some of these great men of god like moses like abraham using them as an example they were diligent in the things of god they weren't lazy The final assessment that the Lord gives his master is, uh, uh, before I start reading this, he just preceded it, you wicked and lazy servant, so you knew that I was a hard man. And then, you know, the things, you know, you knew me. Was he really a hard man? No, he, he was saying, that's your opinion of me. But you don't know me because you didn't spend time with me. And then he continues on, verse 27 of uh, uh, Matthew chapter uh, 24, I'm sorry, 25. So you ought to have deposited my my money with the bankers, that at my coming, I would have received back with my own interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And this is the, the verse that really disturbs me about this parable, the last one in there. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you know, I just came to that conclusion this morning. I think that the uh, this wicked servant, this lazy servant, re- does represent the man that had the seed germinate on rocky ground. Somewhere along the line, this happens to people. It does happen. People do drift away from the faith. Somewhere along the line these people developed the wrong concept of God. Maybe they're sick for a long time, and they get embittered towards God. You know, when you go through the fire, uh, brother and sisters, like I have, I've told you before, it will either make you a better person, or it will make you a bitter person. Maybe they had a close relative. Brother or sister, mother or father. They got sick. And they prayed like crazy. Lord, heal my brother or sister, my father or my my mother. Please heal them. And it doesn't happen. They die. And these people get embittered towards God. Or they're undergoing persecution. Lord, take the persecution. God never takes the persecution away from you. The key is not whether he's going to give you the persecution uh, or allow you to be persecuted. The, the, the key thing is how you are going to react to it. And these people get embittered towards God because of this persecution that they undergo. And they drift away. You know what happens, brothers and sisters? The devil slanders God to you. The devil is always slandering God to you. And you better be ready for it too. That's why you've got to get close to the master. And then these things will not sway you. Okay. I'm almost finished here. We're going to go right into the communion service. I always tell you, brothers and sisters, that the purpose of communion is twofold. Number one, it's the time to remember the Lord's death on behalf of our sins. With both the bread and the cup, Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. First Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and 25. And then Paul added in verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cub, you do proclaim the Lord's death until He return." That's the purpose of, number one purpose of communion, to remember the Lord's death until He comes. And second of all, it is to... A time to closely examine our lives for sin and see how committed we really are. If we fall short in either, to make a new commitment to Him. Remember I talked to you about Rick Howard. You know, after he had that vision, he didn't even know that this verse was in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 31 and 32, but he did that very thing. He judged his life until the next morning. Paul wrote, for if we judge ourselves, we will not be judged. Why won't we be judged? Because we'll judge our own lives beforehand and see what is displeasing to the Lord Jesus Christ and then repent of it. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord. We receive his chastening that we may not be condemned with the world. So my question for you this morning is, how are you spending your time? Are you spending your time wisely to further the kingdom of God? Or are you spending it frivolously? Are you spending your time getting to know the Lord better? Are you praying and interceding for the lost? Are you spending it on frivolous things, even too much work on your job? Like I said, you could be spending ninety hours a week. You know, I, I once worked with a guy that was that did that, and he thought that his uh, diligence in his job, you know, would be pleasing to God. But he was neglecting what should have been the most important thing that he had. Which was a relation. Actually, I don't know if he was even a Christian at at all, but uh, you could be spending so much time on your job or doing other things, frivolous things, feeding your flesh, and not spending time with the most important person that you have in this life, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, now, before we go into the closing song uh i want to give you a little illustration that shows you what you know i'm talking about here as i was i was out there working in the churchyard today you know god brought this little illustration to my mind i i first heard it way back in that uh uh missionary trip to Thailand. I was telling you about I heard it. What of the missionaries share on this? And I filed it away and I've thought about it a lot. And so I went to uh, uh, find it on the internet and I found a really good rendition of it. And I'm going to share with it. Now, title of this is, I Know the Psalm, He Knows the Shepherd. Years ago, the great actor Richard Burton was given a grand reception in his childhood parish. While replying to the complimentary speeches in the parish auditorium, he asked if there was anything they specifically wanted to hear from him. After a minute's pause, his old pastor asked him if he could recite the Good Shepherd Psalm. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want... Fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the good shepherd. The shepherd's psalm. Which he had taught Burton in his Sunday school. A strange look came over the actor's face. He paused for a moment and he said, I will on one condition. That after I have recited it, you, my pastor and teacher, Will do the same. I, said the old retired pastor, am not an actor, but if you wish it, I shall do so. Impressively, the actor began the psalm. His voice and intonation were perfect, he held his audience spellbound, and as he finished, a great burst of applause broke from the audience. As it died away, the old pastor rose up from his wheelchair and began to recite the same psalm. His voice was feeble and shivering. His tone was not faultless. But when he finished, there was not a dry eye in the auditorium. The actor rose and his voice quivered as he said, Ladies and gentlemen, I have reached your eyes and ears, but my old pastor has reached your hearts. Amen. The difference is this. I know the psalm. He knows the shepherd. Wow! So my question to you is, do you know the shepherd, brothers and sisters? Do you know the master? If not, it's high time to get to know Him. And everybody has the opportunity to do that. It's a matter of whether you want to spend time with Him. I close with that. Uh, If you would, uh, Sarah and uh, Freddie, uh, come forward and distribute the elements here this morning. And this bread represents your body which was broken for us on the cross. And even before you went to the cross, Lord, your back was ripped up by the cat of nine tails. Your Brow was pierced by the crown of thorns, Lord. And Lord God, then they took you and nailed you to that cross, Lord, your hands and your feet. And after you had finally perished, your earthly life was finished, Lord, they pierced your side with a spear, Lord, and blood and water flowed out, Lord, indicating that the plasma had separated from the red corpuscles, signifying that you were truly dead. Your death was real for us, Lord God. And we praise and thank you, Lord, for being willing to pay that price for us. Everybody take and need. Verse 25 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Lord, this cup represents that new covenant. Lord, Lord, it says in the uh, book of Hebrews, which we've been reading from elsewhere in Hebrews chapter 9, that without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. And Lord, that every covenant is inaugurated by blood, even as you inaugurated the You, through Moses, inaugurated the first covenant by sprinkling the blood of animals upon the book and the the people. And Lord, so the new covenant was inaugurated that way too, Lord, that you're inaugurated by your precious blood being spilled out there on the tree of Calvary. And Lord, we thank you for what this cup represents, Lord, not your literal body and blood but it represents lord that your blood was shed there for us and as it says in first john lord that if we would walk in the light as he is as you are in the light we have fellowship one with another and the blood of jesus christ his son keeps on cleansing us from every sin thank you lord everybody partake now Okay, everybody feel inspired? Yes. Amen. What are you going to do when you go home? You're going to spend time, spend time with the Lord. In prayer, Bible study, and interceding.